this country. Patrick Henderson, journalist, journalist and founder of 21stCenturyWire.com. Good morning, Patrick. Welcome to Fault Lines. Thanks, thanks a lot, Garland. Are, are you wearing your yellow vest? Oh, every today? day. I can't do my show without it. It's kind of like uh, that's where I get my power from. I'll be weak and just slump to the ground <laughs> like a spineless jellyfish without this thing. The problem is sometimes when it goes out, they make him do road work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the problem. I, I find they hand me this sign, and it says stop on one side and slow on the other, and I just stand there for like 20 minutes and flip it back and forth. They start yelling at Garland and go, lunch break's over. Get to work. And then he's yeah. got to grab a, hand, a jackhammer, <laughs> and it's difficult. See, How it's, are you doing it's this true. morning, it's Patrick? It's true. They do. They do pay activists then. Is it is yeah, true right. then? Yeah. yeah, paid activists. That's right, yeah. Now, Patrick, so let's. we should talk about the uh, Yellow Vest movement because, of course, uh, Vanessa Bealey's done a lot of great work, and she writes over 21st Century Wire. You're great. Yeah, 21st Century Wire, to me, I think you'd agree with this, Garland, is one of the essential news sites yep. that people need to be checking out on a regular basis. It will make you smarter. It will make you more informed. You guys are doing great work. And, Patrick, I, we were talking about it in the first segment this morning. I want to thank you for giving credit to Sputnik and RT, and specifically you also pointed out uh, Garland and I, and thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's true. There's a lot of uh, victory laps going around, and uh, uh, the the people who should be recognized uh, often aren't uh, because they don't work for the you know the cool brands, as it were, uh, in the sort of intelligentsia end of the so-called alternative media. Anyway, well, Patrick, what do you think about this? One of the, what I've been saying is, you know, I think the mainstream media is comfortable talking about who got it wrong. Because that gets away from the conversation of who got it right. Because if you start talking about 21st Century Rewire or fault lines, you know, or, or you know, the real news network getting it right on, on um, Russia, then you have to start talking about Venezuela and Syria and Ukraine. And you realize that they're getting it right on all those things, too. And that's the, the discussion they do not want to have. They still want to marginalize us. So they just ignore us. And, and it's absurd to me. You're going to talk about the people who lost without talking about the winners, about the people who got it wrong, without talking about the people who got it right, and continue to get it right every time. What do you think? Well, it's 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 worse than that because now, now the cloud has moved. You know, the, the Russiagate cloud is now blowing uh, towards the horizon, and now the sun's shining through. And uh, there's certain people I, – I just tweet, tweeted uh, somebody very high profile this morning on Twitter – a uh, very long thread, and who's uh, you know patting his colleagues on the back of how they got it right on Russiagate. But you know what? I know dozens of journalists that are on the wrong side of the Iron Curtain uh, in the media, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. like people, dozens that work for RT, Sputnik, but not just those networks, but many others, who have called this out as a complete uh, dog and pony canard uh, from the summer of 2016. Okay, so... Uh, and consistently and loudly, but but they're not really given any recognition. So this is kind of strange balkanization that still exists. Uh, and so it's just there's a cold war in the uh, so-called alternative press. But when we say alternative, you know, uh, a news outlet like The Intercept, you know, that has had hundreds of millions of dollars plowed into it. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't call that alternative media. It's 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 not a mainstream network, but it's it's really you can't really call it alternative either. Uh, we're we're out here in the independent sphere, uh, bloggers and independent websites, completely self-funded, on our own volition, very tough. But I, I would say that we we not only got it right from the beginning, but we came out hard and strong uh, on this issue, especially RussiaGate and the Russian hacking canard, which actually hasn't been admitted by the mainstream yet that that is 
uh, a complete farce. Well, okay? fact, I called it a hoax back it, in November 2016 before the election. Uh, so yeah, I know, and I was too when I, I, I when I ghost wrote the piece for Roger Stone uh, on this to try to get this in at Breitbart as well as discussing it on my periscopes and stuff like that. But l- let me ask you this, Patrick, because you guys have been. Forget the Russia thing for a second. Leave that aside. I think it's connected. You guys have been so great on the Syria thing and so right. Did in, in your understanding of the Russia thing, did the fact that you understood what was actually happening in Syria mean that when the Russia thing started to come up in 2016, you saw it differently? You, you, I, is that question coherent? In other words, did your back for me, my background covering Syria in from 2013, when 2016 happened, I was like, I'm seeing something here that I've seen before. Did you have the same feeling? Yeah, if, if, if you expand your analysis to cover a wide geopolitical scope, you can see that there's push and pull going across the Atlantic. Okay, so the, yes. you know, the minute Russia intervened uh, in Syria in October of 2015, uh, then th- that changed the game completely in terms of geopolitics. And it meant from that point forward, Russia was then setting the pace in the Middle East uh, rather than being a sort of periphery actor, where the U.S. used to set the pace on all events in the Middle East, for good or bad. The U.S. would set the pace, you know, whatever it decided to do or who it decides to back. But now all major decisions have, having to also go as well through Russia. Okay, And we'll talk maybe about the Golan Heights in a minute. But yeah. that, so, so that was a threat to the United States world, uh, U.S.-led world order. And so Russia Gate is, was a, a convenient uh, reaction to that, uh, which was to then counter uh, Russian uh, influence or Russian power or uh, Russian ability to conduct itself as an actor on the world stage. And I'm talking about the U.N. Security Council mainly, okay, and the activities that come up on the floor there. But, uh, yeah, I, I totally get your point, Lee, on that. So. I, I'm, I was skeptical from the beginning, and the, the bottom line is there was never any evidence. There's, there hasn't been any evidence of hacking, and I know that story very well. And also, I had interviewed Robert Perry uh, back in 2016 and 2017 a number of times, and he's done probably the best work of any journalist on Russiagate from, from beginning to end. Sadly, he's not with us anymore. Uh, and that's Robert Perry, the founder of Consortium News. That's right. Uh, but but uh, the whole crowd strike. Thing uh, with the DNC leaks, uh, hacks, uh, so-called hacks, which are really probably leaks. That that's you know, CrowdStrike appears to be a a, a bogus cutout organization. Yeah, that ab- was put into. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Sorry. no, I'm no, I'm going to say absolutely, and they're clearly F- connected to both the FBI and the Atlantic Council and the DNC. And that's the thing. And and where, where I started noticing this, Patrick, was I was doing from a technical perspective, I could see. That people were people were out there like Jeffrey Carr, and uh, this guy from WordFence who I interviewed were going. Wait a second, guys. You're technically what you're saying is technically not true, and the 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 reporting was so sloppy on it. Where CrowdStrike, if you actually read what they were saying, especially that Ukraine report that was a complete disaster, you'd go, well, this technical case is falling apart. They have no technical case. They're saying that based on the targets, we know it's Russia. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't know who it is. It's, it, it's probably so, someone pro-Russian if what you're saying is true. 
But pro-Russian could does not mean Russia. It does not mean a state actor. Uh, and, and so, Patrick, one of the things I'd like to do is I'm just going to tell you about this is a, a semi-plug for something that I'm doing. But we've got a wiki up over at, at, at Populous that we're going to be getting going this weekend. And what this is going to be is it is a, is a semi-closed wiki. But it is going to be trying to lay out the story on this. And I really want people like you, Patrick, to be able to go on and edit. And even if the edit is, you know, I think this needs to be expanded or you're forgetting this. And then other people can go in and do the work. I really think that there's I think there's enough people who've gotten the story right that there needs to be one place that people can go. And the research is all backed up with facts. And it's not you you don't have to figure out, okay, is this NATO propaganda or is what like if you read Wikipedia right now on any of these subjects, it's just a mess and you can't trust it. So so we're setting that up. And again, I would really like you to be uh, part of that because I, I think you do such great work. And I think that none of us is smarter than all of us. I agree. Consortium News, we got Joe Laurie on the show later. Fantastic work. But my idea is if we get a lot of people together and we get an information source that is accurate, that anybody can access to read, and that and that smart, honest people, even if they disagree on some stuff, can go, well, you know, Patrick Henningsen argues this, whereas Lee Strahan argues that. That is great. And I really think we need something like that, which I'm just curious. By the way, feel free to reject me in the air. This is like me. This is like me asking someone. Like you've seen those public engagement proposals, Garland. Right. And, and like at a ballpark where they put it up on the sign, and then the girl says no. And that's like, <laughs> oh, my God. So go ahead, Patrick. Shoot me down. No, no, I think that's a that's a great idea. You know, you're taking uh, you're taking uh, the action. You're being proactive uh, in terms of collating uh, a lot of research out there, trying to crowdsource what is an incredibly complicated story. Uh, it's incredibly technical. Yeah, it's got lots of twists and turns. There's a lot of obfuscation. There's a lot of uh, starbursts that have been thrown out there as false targets. And I remember a, a, a conversation I was having with Robert Perry in uh, the spring of. 2017, and this is after Vault 7 came out, okay, right around the time Vault 7 came out of WikiLeaks. And he said that uh, they, they had remarked in their reports, uh, I believe it's the uh, the intelligence assessment on, on CrowdStrike or the DNC supposed hack, that the, they remarked about the perfect trade craft, you know, and they said that's the reason we knew it was state-sponsored. Cyrillic characters were found uh, in the codes and the, yeah. the Russian fingerprints everywhere. I mean, this is just a little bit too obvious, right? And then you look at Vault Seven technology, and that that validates that that would be that can be used to right. lay false fingerprints. So it's cyber false flag. It's right there in front of your your eyes, uh, and this is completely ignored uh, by the mainstream media. And that's when they really ramped up the attacks on WikiLeaks. Well, the other thing after is that. After the Vault 7 release, so WikiLeaks was elevated to public enemy number 1.0 at that point. And the other thing, if you look at you know what we've gotten from Mueller so far, and I've been saying all along, you know, they, they, all these people, you know, oh, Mueller's the hero, Mueller's this, and I, my position has always been Mueller ain't the cure, Mueller's the disease. <laughs> and and when you yeah. look at what it, 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 he ended up, he still was like, yes, the, he had to word it in a way that's like 
yeah, Trump didn't help the Russians interfere. When the Russians were interfering as they interfered, he didn't help them interfere. You know, it's like he went out of his way on so many of these, if you read all of these indictments, which I have, to to reiterate some false narrative that was out there. One of the indictments that he wrote, I don't remember if it was the Maria Butina one, it was the others. He starts off by just reciting basically the Bill Browder story. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, what's the Bill Browder story have to do with this indictment? But he writes, all this, you know, reinforces the Bill Bill Browder story. Then he goes into this. Every one of these things that he's written, almost every one, but most of them, he's taken the opportunity. And, of course, he was on the inside doing the investigation, so he knew it was garbage. And I'll go one further. If you remember, one of the things that came out that Peter Strzok said at the very beginning, the guy who who signed off to start the Russiagate investigation, Peter Strzok said, I didn't get involved because I knew there was no big there there. So we know from the very beginning, if Peter Strzok knew from the beginning it was all crap, then certainly Mueller knew. So I think they went through the motions to, for a number of reasons, we could go on about that, to direct Trump's foreign policy. But then ultimately, Mueller wrote this in a way so that all throughout, and I guarantee when this thing, when they let this investigation out, a lot of it is about, yeah, Everything's true about Russia, but Trump didn't collude. Yeah, Russia's evil, but Trump didn't collude. It's taken the opportunity because Mueller is a part of the machine, an appendage of the machine, to continue and push the machine narrative. So as I've said, you've said, as Stephen Cohen has said, a lot of people have said, they'll lose, but there's even then they're going to find a way to win while they're losing. What do you think, Patrick? No, it, it's worse than It's actually worse than that, guys. If you read Bill Barr's letter— uh, the summary that was just released a couple of days ago, it it, it says there's no, no no further indictments, for, and so basically there's no Trump-Russia collusion. And then they dropped the baby Ruth bar in the swimming pool, and they drifted it out. And it says, but that does not exonerate, you know, uh, the Trump or you know whatever. So they they're leaving that that pound of red meat out there for the media to to that fuels more speculation. And so the talking points that you'll see now. Uh, there's a lot of people walking it back saying, well, I never believe, like uh, uh, Cenk Erger from oh, the Young God, Turks. Yeah. He, he, he said, I, don't, I never believed in, uh, I never said there was Trump-Russia collusion. And they'll say, that, but, you know, the, the investigation exposed a lot of real crimes by Trump associates. And I'm going to answer with that and say, no, it didn't. Right. Those, there was no, there are no real crimes. There are process crimes. There's perjury traps. If you want real crimes, take Mueller and do the same thing with the Clinton Foundation. Yep. That's right. And, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to see some big crimes. We're talking HSBC. We're talking heads of state. We're talking Saudi uh, uh, princes. Uh, we're talking uh, pay to play for a secretary of state with a slush fund. I don't know how much money they had in there, but uh, I think it was upwards of a billion dollars at, at some point. Well, so, and, you know, with the – yeah, go ahead. How about the Haiti money? Where would that all go? And then you then you get into the Pinchuk funding, and you get into the fact that in this story right now, it's starting to come out on the right, but not really in limited hangout form through guys like Dan Bongino and Fox. Victor Pinchuk, who was the guy who was the biggest donor to the Clinton Foundation. Ukrainian oligarch. He was the financial – Ukrainian oligarch, biggest single donor. He's the financial backer and, and backer in general of this guy, Sergei Leschenko. Leschenko is the guy who's convicted of election interference. He's now being thrown under the bus by Poroshenko, but he's guilty. So it's a guilty guy being thrown under the bus. But as so, it's only one step away. The Clinton Foundation is directly connected. The fact that Pinchuk is backing this, this is all, a, to me, it is a Clinton operation. 
But it's beyond that. It's much more than that. I'll tell you the other thing, too, Patrick, and I think you'd agree with this. The Hillary Clinton email investigation, there was no real investigation. Oh, God, yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It's not. It's that. I agree with you. And not only that, that that one was used as as sort of soft bait to stitch up George Papadopoulos. OK. And that triggered uh, an FBI through through uh, through, uh, Italy, uh, through London to Italy we're up and back. Tr- it triggered an FBI investigation. Yeah, okay. no, that's right. Hey, Patrick, we got to get you. We had to do one of those things. If you if you can, we got to get him on for two seconds yeah, sometime because Patrick, always a great guest. Seriously. 21st Century Wire. Please go check that out and follow Patrick on Twitter. we got more coming up. Two great hours this morning. Joe Loria coming up and more. You'll listen to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. <laughs> 